Hey friends, welcome in to the Deeply Funny Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Yaney. On today's episode, we're going to be meeting with my friend, Jim Hewling. And I really should say my friend and mentor, (laughs) Jim Hewling, because honestly, Jim has been one of my greatest coaches that I've met so far in my path. Jim is an inspiring keynote speaker. He has a history of working with the Franklin Covey organization. And if you've ever worked in the fields of professional and personal development, chances are you've been exposed to Jim Hewling. He is an influencer on LinkedIn. He has written books on the subject. He's presented to so many people worldwide. And today we have the gift of meeting with Jim. And just, I have to say going into this episode, you guys, that Jim really to me is like the hallmark, the hallmark of humility. He is as humble as he is knowledgeable and just such a reflection, honestly, for the way that I have come to see myself. So I know that you're going to get so much out of this, like more than you paid for. (laughs) I can guarantee it. Um, And also really just having an inspiring conversation about figuring out who you are. If you've ever felt like someone who wants to find your purpose Or maybe you lived a great chapter in your life and you were really fulfilled, but you know it's time for a change. Um, You know, I think that we have a lot that we can learn and listen from Jen. One of the biggest gifts that I got from this conversation is just the opportunity for personal reflection. Talking to Jim is like listening to an old friend and uh, maybe like sitting on the porch with your grandfather having a cup of sweet tea, depending on where you live. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for listening. I know everyone's going to get so much out of this episode. I can't wait. Let's dive in. All right. Well, Jim, welcome on to the Deeply Funny Podcast. Thank you, Kristen. I have uh, been waiting, I don't know, weeks for this moment to come. I couldn't be more excited. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for saying yes. We're really honored to have Jem on the podcast today. Um, Jem, for our listeners who don't know you, do you mind giving us a little introduction about yourself? Oh, sure. And and let's put emphasis on the word little, because uh, when you're <laughs> at my stage of life, you know, the, it's a long story to tell the whole story, not really of great interest. But but I think if, if you think about it in three really fast parts, it's easy to grasp. You know, I, I have a I have an entire chapter of my life where I was an executive in the IT business and I worked really hard and learned how to program and made my way all the way to being a CIO of a couple of very large uh, multi-billion dollar companies. And then I had this moment of inspiration or opportunity, Kristen, I don't know, maybe all of it together, but I was offered the opportunity to then be CEO of a technology company. And uh, that was really the pinnacle of that whole chapter of my life. It was 11 years. I was CEO and I loved I loved it. Um, and then I also had one of my most pivotal moments in life at the end of that CEO tenure. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit today. But that's, that's kind of the first block. And, th- and then the second block, you know, I had a chance to go to work for Dr. Stephen Covey and the Franklin Covey organization. And I was there 14 years as the uh, global managing consultant. So I was responsible for teaching principles all over the world. And uh, during that time, I had such a great privilege to be allowed to write two books for them, uh, The Four Disciplines of Execution, uh, first edition and second edition, which 
which did, you know, Chris and I just have to say maybe to everybody's surprise, <laughs> went on to be a number one bestseller uh, in the U.S. and then a number one bestseller worldwide and then now translated into 16 languages and still a global bestseller uh, all these years later. Uh, it's, it's been an amazing journey. And there were a lot of people who, who put their talent and their energy into that book, not just me, but I'm very proud to be one of the authors of it and to have spent some time, you know, teaching it. So that's the second block. And then the third block, to finish this story as quickly as I can, you know, <laughs> is uh, um, at the end of all that, you know, I one more time in my life, I came around to the question of what do I most want to do? How can I, how can I have the greatest impact? What, what lights me up? What makes me you know, feel alive and joyful to start each day. What is that? And turned out there was a moment when the, when traveling the world, giving keynote speeches and writing books, wasn't it anymore as wonderful, you know, as that maybe sounds to a lot of people listening. And it was wonderful, but like all good chapters of life, you know, they come to a close. And so the, the next chapter that opened up for me was this chance to really be an executive coach, to be able to, at sort of the last chapter, maybe of my professional life, look backward and help a lot of people along the journey. And uh, Kristen, I, I I only half joke when I say my greatest value as a coach is enabling you to not make all the mistakes I made. That's probably my greatest gift to everybody that I get to coach. But then maybe the second is, you know, that, and I, I just say this figuratively, a, a really great coach uh, allows a person to sort of stand on their shoulders and see further, you know, and then, and then have a different idea. And, and if we can do that as a coach, we can lift each person up so they, they go beyond you. They do things you never could have imagined being able to do yourself. That's like the greatest legacy of all. And I'm getting to create that legacy right now. I have almost 40 coaching clients that run the gamut from CEOs to recent college graduates and everything in between. And uh, and if you don't mind me using this kind of language, I love them all. And we have the best time on our calls and we make plans and strategies and solve problems and you know, I leave every one of those calls thinking this is the greatest chapter of my life. <laughs> well, that's where I am right now as an executive coach. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing, Jim. I mean, yeah, you do have a really incredible story. And I'm sure looking back over your life, it's like you have some distinct chapters, right? You've gotten to be, I'll say the doer. You were the worker. You built it. You were the CEO. You led. You got to teach. And now it sounds like you're more being a guide, which... Mm -hmm. It was a fun, fun phase. So thank yeah, you for you coming know, on, guiding about, us. <laughs> oh, yeah. So sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Either. The funny thing about all of those, the joke would be on me. Every time, every one of those chapters, I thought I had the greatest job in the world. Yeah. You know, so like when I was CIO, I thought this is the greatest job. And when I was a CEO, I thought for a little while, I thought this is the greatest job. And then author, greatest job. And now coach, I think this is the greatest job I've ever had. So I don't know if there's a clue there, but, but maybe there's something about if, if you, each time you make a change in your life or each time you make a pivot, if you can be guided by joy, you know, rather than analytics, if you, everybody should do a pro con list. Every time you change jobs, I got that. I mean, do your homework, do your research, you know, ask your mentors, do all the right things. But the thing that it seems most people never even stop to do is to say, Hey, which of these options would bring me the greatest joy? And I'm not trying to sound flowery. There's no unicorn coming across the screen, you know, in this. But joy is a valid compass. Yeah. And if you think about the jobs you've had that didn't turn out well, I'll bet you one of the reasons they didn't turn out well is because they were joyless. 
But if we look back, we might say, well, I didn't really investigate the potential for joy in this job. I looked at the income and the, you know, the opportunities and the growth path and the compensation. I looked at all those things. I forgot <laughs> to look for joy, you know. <laughs> I do. I feel like you're preaching to the choir right now. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. Yeah. So I've left my job. I left my corporate job after about 15 years in the food industry. I left my job about six months ago, maybe a little bit longer mm. than that now. And, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do yet. I've still been trying to figure that out. But I realized I was just saying this the other day, like I needed a break. I knew that like I felt like I needed the Sabbath, right? I, I needed to rest. Mm -hmm. And I took a few months to do that. And then I've slowly started to kind of dive in and build. Mm -hmm. And I realized that what you said about joy is a valid compass. I mean, mic drop. Hello. And that's what I realized is, you know, if I two seconds out of a 15 corporate 15 year corporate career had tried to tap into joy, I did not have joy. <laughs> I was like completely burnt out. There was barely anything left. And you can't really draw from joy when you're don't have anything in the tank, you know. So I do think that there is a lot of validity, you know, for rest as well. And I know, you know, we talk about you need to create from a place of rest but I think I'm only starting to really you know kind of I'll say in a lived experience way I'm only just starting to understand what that's talking about <laughs> would you say it with such wisdom you can hear it in your voice you know even not only in the words you choose but the tone of your voice you feel that you're seeking now something different than what you had you can just you can, and I know you a little bit personally we should say full disclosure the yes. uh and 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 think of you as a great friend so I know a little bit about that story as well but I think that's really true. You know, there's a there's a very old saying, and everybody will have heard it before, but maybe somehow it'll come across fresh today. Is you literally cannot pour from an empty cup. Yeah. So so if we you know we get so focused on producing, we think and and our companies and our, our bosses want us to produce, and we think that's the justification for our jobs, and and we sort of. Uh, Christian, have you ever felt this way? You sort of feel guilty. You have a good job. You get paid a good income. You work with people that are okay or sometimes great to be around. You know, you have benefits. I mean, you have 401k. <laughs> then, then, you, and then you start, you know, at the end of the day or, or Sunday night, you start thinking about, gee, I don't want to go back. One of the problems, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Right? What? <laughs> one, of, one of the problems is then you, you kind of feel guilty. I mean, I, I have clients who sort of shame themselves over wanting more than what they have now, be, because rightly so, what they have now is great. They have a lot to be grateful for, but gratitude isn't a substitute for calling. It's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Gratitude is a state of mind that enriches every part of our human experience. I, I'm totally all about gratitude. I start every day with gratitude, but I'm really clear that gratitude is not my purpose. I didn't, I didn't come into this life just to be grateful. I came into this life to be grateful and do something that I was meant to do. And in my way of believing was somehow formed to do, was gifted to do. And only then, you know, I, I, I can plug gratitude and purpose together into a light socket and I've really got something then. Um, and, but I think my clients often suffer because they've somehow been made to feel that, you know, they should be happy with whatever they have. And that's not the same thing. That's not really what gratitude is. Gratitude is a, is a deeper thing that, you know, when we think about it and begin to pursue it, we can tap into something more powerful. Wow, John. 
Yes. Um, let me let me launch into a question after that because I'm actually speechless, but I have to keep running this podcast. So <laughs> that happens a lot. I'm I'm never to lack for words. And then I realize when I started recording this, I often just have nothing to say. I'm speechless. Um, so I know that you have had a really broad career. You've served lots of different leaders, women's creators, change makers all around the world. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges that face us as we lean in to be our authentic selves in the world, which by the way, is what I call purpose. You know, that's something I'll just drop this before I let you answer, but you know, there's a lot of stuff out there around purpose right now. And there's a million people on Instagram who will sell you a five point program to find your purpose. (laughs) And as an aspiring life and career coach myself, I'm like, Oh, that is so sticky and doesn't feel good. And what it really is to me is like, I feel that I came here to tell people just be who you are, mm-hmm. just be who you are, because it's true. Like each one of us is made different. We each have a fingerprint. And when that becomes unfolded, and that is a process and a journey, but <laughs> when you become unfolded and you're really allowing that authentic creative self-expression that only you can create, like mm-hmm. that's when you're going to have your biggest impact on the world. That's when every day is going to feel not like a chore, but you know, like I have the greatest job in the world and it's not always going to be easy, but it will be good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so to me, when we talk about purpose, if you can just find a way to unlock and slowly unleash who you are, that's the best thing that we can do. Right. So that that's my soapbox. <laughs> but back to my question <laughs> is, you know, what are some of the challenges that you see come up for people when they start trying to dig into their purpose? Yeah, in fact, let's we've sort of mentioned one. The very first one, you know, is oftentimes this um, uh, this sort of guilt of, uh, you know, and I think part of the reason that guilt comes up is because the search for purpose has the potential to upside down your life a little bit or a lot. You know, there are lots of stories, all of which are great when you're past the rough spot looking back. But when you're first beginning to make changes, you know, you can often find the people around you are not very happy. They like the old version of you. Or your company or your boss is like, well, what do you mean you you don't want to work this many hours or you don't want to do the same thing, you know? So it can create a lot of disruption. But but I'll tell you the one thing I've now I've now spent the last two and a half years uh, since my time of leaving Frank and Covey and and starting my own business, where I've been thematically focused on purpose as my main thing. I I do love as an executive coach, people come to me because I wrote a book on execution and they want to talk about goal setting or or senior executives have challenging problems or the need to build a strategy. And I love diving back into those things. But my current highest energy, biggest, biggest uh, drive when I get the chance to work with someone is this whole arena of purpose. But after doing it for two and a half years, I, I'm going to make this one statement. I, I'm really going to watch your face as I say it to see how you react. Although I guess I'm the only one that'll actually be able to watch your face, right? But 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 I have come to the conclusion that purpose is not something that you find. There's so much literature. There's so many five-step courses. There's so many even books about finding your purpose. You know, and I feel for my one vote that I get to cast out into the universe through this podcast. That that's the that language reveals that it's completely the wrong approach. I, I don't think you find your purpose. I think yeah. you build your purpose. I think mm-hmm. you create your purpose. And that doesn't mean that you can create anything you want. There are some forces 
in the universe that you represent, you have certain talents that you were given, certain opportunities have come your way. There are many parts that may go into that, but I don't want people who come to me to think of purpose. Oh my gosh, I've lost it. I, I don't know. I left it in the car. Maybe I left it at home. I can't, maybe it's in the backyard. Where's my purpose? You know, I can't find it because that's very frustrating. I think a lot of people today are, are sort of disheartened because they can't find their purpose. And, and part of the reason they're disheartened is there are all these people on the internet saying, no, no, you should be able to find it. Well, I don't think you find it. I think you build it. And, and if I give you a metaphor, see if it works. To me, the quest for purpose is like building a wall. It's like a rock wall. And there are these elements of your life that you lay down as part of that wall. Maybe one of them is a cornerstone part. Maybe maybe it's the bedrock on which everything else rests. But, but I'll give you some examples just to make it not so abstract an idea. So one of the rocks I laid down very early on was that I genuinely loved helping other people grow. And I did that when I was a supervisor one, two, and three. And early in my career, I had two people reporting to me. I did that when I was a CEO and had thousands of people reporting to me. I did that when I was an author and I spoke to 70,000 people in 20 countries, I always was driven by that same thing. That's a big rock for me. I lay that down like I'm building a wall. Sorry, I'm going to stretch that metaphor unashamedly <laughs> for just a second. And then I have another rock, which is what do I seem to be good at? Well, I, I seem to be reasonably good at communication. I seem to be reasonably good at putting ideas into words or and, and words into a book or words into a podcast. And I'm not great at it. I just seem to be good at it. And I have worked hard to build an acceptable level of skill. So, so another rock I can lay down is that. You, you see how I'm going through this? And, and then another rock is, who do I feel called to help? I mean, you know, you can help anybody in the world, but you can't help everybody in the world. And you certainly can't do it all at the same time. So it helps in whatever you're doing in life. If you can narrow down a bit to what is the, what is the, demographic that seems to call to you the most you know um, you and I have friends who are really fired up about helping young people right out of college figure out their careers and then we also know people who would say that's the last thing on earth I'd ever like to do they weren't born for that they were born to help people at midlife or senior executives or or entrepreneurs who want to start a business so my second thing is I say well first is you know what what do you what what do you feel uh, uh, called to what do you feel is your bedrock talent and second is what who do you feel called to serve and then and third is what's the real impact you want to leave behind mm -hmm. and i love this now I, I don't i'm not trying to hide the fact that you know i was so influenced by dr stephen covey in my life and i, I just carry with him you know sort of all these things that i feel i learned and we all know he said begin with the end in mind which i like i think that's one of the greatest principles for life my way of working with that, though, in my own purpose is I sat down and wrote out a list of how I wanted to be remembered. And I wow. began to discover as I wrote that, that I wanted to be remembered as a person who helped other people grow and evolve and succeed. I mean, I wrote lots of things. You know, I wanted to be a great dad and a great husband, and I hope I was a great friend. I I, I wanted to, you know, have done some good things with my life. I wanted to have been faithful to things that I said I believed. I had a long list, but I'm also giving you the cliff notes of it that when I stepped back from, I don't know, eight or 10 pages I wrote on this, what I saw coming through was I really wanted to help other people go beyond me. I, I wanted to be that catalytic resource. And then the last one of all, you know, is, um, uh, is this Steve Jobs said one time, um, and I'm, I can never get this quote quite right, 
uh, live your life in such a way that you leave a dent in the universe. Yeah, <laughs> I love that quote. I'm not doing a good job of that, Emma, but I love that quote because I hold that image in my mind that one day I'm going to look back and say, you see that dent right there, Kristen? That I did that. That was me. That's where I was. You know, uh, uh, I helped that person in a time of great trouble or or I coached this person through a really challenging time in their career or I taught this person some things about leadership and look, they went beyond anything I ever accomplished. Those are my little dents in the universe. So I, I'm clear about what I want to leave behind. So I don't know if I'm using too many words. Sometimes I do, as you know, but I'm trying to get a whole bunch of concepts out on the table really fast in order to make one point. Don't think <laughs> of your purpose as this one thing. Don't think of it like, you know, the the wedding ring that you lost at the beach in the sand and you're just trying to find it. Don't think of it like that. It's not that. First of all, you may have many purposes in your life. You may have a purpose as a parent. You may have a purpose as a partner or a friend. You may have a purpose as a spiritual seeker or a, a counselor. You know, I, I think it can take so many forms. But if anybody remembers anything of what I just said, and if it's been too long, I hope you'll edit it down, is... Um, um, Purpose is not something you find. Purpose is something you build and you build it out of the blocks you've been given or that you've developed during your time in life. Yeah, I love that. I think my favorite thing about that, Jen, is the reflection of what what is really true for me. It goes back to that be who you are, right? right? It is the unfolding. Mm -hmm. And first of all, you know, when you say it's something that you build and build over time, my suspicion and my sneaking suspicion at all the, the people who want to sell me the five point program on Instagram is I'm like, I don't just have one and my purpose is going to change over time. And the people I feel called to serve, like it's never made sense to me to try and pin it down because I know myself and I'm like I'm a very <laughs> dynamic creature and I'm going to continue to evolve. And, you know, I think what you're giving us is an empowerment speech at the end of the day, because it's saying your purpose is not, despite what we've been taught, something that you have to go find. It's not out there. It's not buried in the sand. It is buried in here though. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's something that lays inside of you. And, you know, as when you were talking, I was picturing a children's book actually, mm. and who knows, maybe we'll write it one day, I but that. I was picturing a children's book and, you know, are, do you know the book, Are You My Mother? Yes, yes. And, you know, he's like going up, like it's like a little mm -hmm. duckling. I think he goes up to like a bulldozer. Are you my mother? Are you my mother? <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't really remember how that book ends. So we'll skip the ending. But, you know, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt for years with my purpose. Are you my purpose? Are you? That's Is this right. it? That's and, right. you know, it's like when you are just spend all, when you spend your time, your energy, your wheels looking outside of yourself for an answer, it is going to be frustrating and you may come home at the end of the day and feel really lost and really discouraged and riddled with self-doubt because like the young duckling, you thought your purpose was one of the million things out there. But then, you know, when you come home and you sit and you get quiet and you start to really tap into yourself, that's where you can begin to find yeah, the answer. Right. And so when yeah. you live your life in that way that you've described, it's like, that was the other children's book to me. It's like, there's two characters, the one who's looking out there. And then the one who's like, I don't know what my purpose is, but I'm just going to kind of live my life in a certain way. And they help someone out at the farmer's market or they volunteer to school. You know, it's like, you're taking those little actions day by day. And then it starts to become clear. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, I think, I think yeah. what you said is really brilliant because 
Um, the, the language of finding your purpose is sort of outside in. That, that says your purpose is somewhere out there. And if you could just find it, you could bring it inside of you. But that's just not how it works. The purpose is inside out. It's already in there. Yeah. Now, maybe there are things we do that reveal to us that gifts that we have, longings that we have, people we would love to serve, impact we would like to make. Maybe all that, that is all inside us. And, and there is some process for bringing that out. Sure. Um, and, I, and I would say, I wouldn't want anybody to misunderstand you and me. I think there is value in clarifying a purpose. I think, I think it's like a camera lens, you know, when it's slightly out of focus, none of the pictures are, are, are as clear as we would want them to be. So there is something good about getting clear. Who do I feel called to help? Or what are my gifts that I have to offer? Or what impact do I want to make? I think those are, those are healthy questions. But if you leave that whole discussion, you need to have no angst, no anxiety. Don't lay awake in the middle of the night saying, what is my purpose? Think more about of the of the gifts I've been given, of the talents I have, of the things I love to do, how can I put that together in a way that does some good thing in the world? I think that's a good way to think about it. And in, and in that way of speaking, it just takes all the pressure off. You know, uh, I think it's a stress inducing thing to say, you've got to find your purpose. <laughs> I just want to turn off every one of those internet gurus, you know, who is pounding yeah. people with this thought. It's just not true. Yeah. And if we trace the story of their lives, we would probably find a lot of years when they didn't have a clue what their purpose was. You know, but maybe today, still, <laughs> maybe still, right? We're not going there. But I love, just love that way of thinking. It's inside out, which means it's already inside you. Yeah. And your work is to discover and develop, perhaps, what you bring out of you into the world in order to create a certain impact. I think that's that's much more true to what the journey is really like putting all the hype to the side yeah gosh i think that's so true so that's a perfect segue to my next topic Jim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how in the world how do we be brave <laughs> <laughs> how do we find the courage where does it come from what do you have to access and pull out of yourself in order to start moving down that path and getting in alignment with your purpose. Mm-hmm. Boy, what a great question. And you know, um, I feel that I've been living the answer to that question imperfectly, but on a pilgrimage to that answer <laughs> for a lot more decades than you've been alive, my friend. I feel I feel the weight of that question when you ask me. And I don't know that I'm even um, an appropriate person to offer an answer because I'm still a pilgrim on the same journey. But I'll give you a couple of things that have meant a lot to me. Um, I, th- I think there, I think there is so much language today around, you should do something you don't want to do simply as an act of courage. And, and so there's all this emphasis, you take a, a subject you and I are very passionate about, which is uh, women entrepreneurs, women who want to start something of their own, build something of their own and be known for something of their own, you know, uh, which we both think a lot of, we, we honor that journey and, and help those people in every way we can. Well, when you, when you think about that in that way, so many people say to those folks, you've just got to have courage. You've got to take the leap. You've just got to go quit that job. Just quit the job you're in now. Tell them what to do with that job and walk away, you know? (laughs) And, um, and I just think that's, that's a cruelty that borders on being criminal to me, that advice. You need to leap, leap and the net will appear. It's it's the most untrue thing ever said in the history of the world. (laughs) 
because it speaks of it as a guarantee. You know, yeah. that if you sleep and you have courage, the net will appear. It's just not true. You, you, you can talk to five people and you'll find three of them that can say, oh yeah, that didn't work very well for me. So if you, if you leap into something with no plan, no self-awareness, no analysis, no network, no mentor, no nothing, just trusting that the net will appear, you are pretty likely going to hit hard, solid ground really fast. And then that's going to be a painful moment. You can't, you can't leap off a cliff and then try to build a parachute as you're falling. You just can't. Right. Nobody can do that well, right? But my real point to everybody I get the chance to speak to about this topic is it's not that it's not wise. That's not the tragedy. The tragedy of that approach is it's unnecessary. Why, why do that? Why take all that risk? Why have the 50-50 chance of a catastrophic landing at the bottom of that cliff? Why would you do that? It's so simple to do it the other way. You know, which, which simply means, first of all, introspection. If you want to have courage, you need to know yourself. And, and I'm not an expert on this subject, Kristen. I just have lived a, a lot of years and I've coached a lot of people to say, I think the absence of courage is often uh, uh, in disguise, the absence of self-awareness. So for example, yeah. if you don't really know what you stand for in the world, you haven't even done that kind of basic work. I love to have my clients build a code of honor. What are the four, five, six values you're going to live your life by? And, and how are we going to translate those into your day-to-day -day actions and how you make decisions and the things you say? I mean, how do we, let's don't hang them on the wall. Let's, how do we make those values real? You know, uh, and so, and then every time somebody gets rock solid, clear about their values, they have more courage. I feel the same way about your strengths, the things you're really good at. The more you know that, the, the more courage. And then people will say to my clients, you're just becoming more and more courageous. And then they'll come back to me bragging about my, all my friends are saying, I'm getting more and more crazy. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're just becoming more and more aware. You're just knowing yourself. But every time you know yourself 1% better, your outward ability to act on that knowledge goes up five times that much. So there's a very high ROI on self-understanding, self-awareness, even this subject of purpose that we've been talking about. Every time you lay those blocks down, the wall you stand on gets stronger and stronger. And so if you buy this way of thinking about it, the degree of courage required by life gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Not because you're not doing brave things, but because you've built this inner capacity of knowing who you are, knowing what you stand for, knowing what you're trying to do with your life, knowing where you're going, knowing how you're going to do it, knowing what impact you want to make. Oh my gosh, you know, I could, I could go all day, but can you, I'm, I don't know if you're feeling that, but I feel that when I know the answers to all those questions, I don't need to have very much courage, but yeah. I'm doing very courageous things. Look at me. I, I started a business uh, at, at uh, 67 years old when most people are thinking about going fishing, which is fine. Fishing's great, you know, but I wanted, <laughs> I still had something I wanted to do and I'm 69 this year and I still go to CrossFit every day and I'm still planning on writing another book this year. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm walking ahead, but, and people say, well, you have so much courage. It's not really true. I've built a foundation that I'm just standing on that makes it not so hard, you know, it makes it easy to reach higher when you're standing on this wall of rock that you've built of all the parts of yourself that you've discovered or brought out. Yeah. Gosh, that's so good. I, this is a little unorthodox. I don't think I've ever done this on the podcast, but I am going to read you part of my journal entry. 
um, because it's so spot on to what you were just talking about. But mm-hmm. I have been deep in the throes of self-doubt. Like self-doubt for me is probably the most paralyzing out of all the different things. And, you know, people don't see it a lot. I think the people who know me well, you know, of course, know I struggle sometimes with that. But outwardly, I look very confident. And your comment around that people tell me how courageous and how brave I am all the time. And I mean, it's true. If you look at the facts, I've quit my job. I've moved across the country. I've started a podcast. Like I've done a million things. These are, you know, three recent examples, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of normal for me in my life. I do these big things Mm -hmm. and I'm like, yeah, but it's not courage when you feel like you're going to die if you don't. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, it is, it's still a bold thing, but it's what you're saying. It it goes back to me to this place of self-awareness. And so I was doing some deep journaling and I wrote about this. So I ask. I sometimes I ask myself questions. So mm-hmm. I'll, you know, write a question on the left and then I let the answer come on the right. And so this, this is my little part of my journal entry for y'all this week. Why do I experience self-doubt? Answer, because you don't know who you are. Hmm. Because you lack a well-defined sense of self. We don't have to be perfect. We get to be whole, whole, bright, light, messy humans. We don't always have to have it all figured out, but always retain and keep the capacity hidden within to get themselves out. We are capable of freedom. Listen, all of this, the mess, the darkness, even the light, it's all carrying with it the peace, love, and vibration of freedom. And as it carries out, it also carries within. And I have never for one second doubted my own divinity. So when you're asking yourself, how do I get out of this? let love in. Mm. Wow. And I asked myself one more question (laughs) and I said, okay, (laughs) thank you for that answer. (laughs) (laughs) What do I most need to let go of? And the thing that I most need to let go of is the idea that it's not good to, or that I cannot, should not, might not believe in myself. And, you know, I think that sometimes we pick that up, you know, it might be from being a kid or your middle school years, or if you have brothers and sisters, right? We get this idea. It's not good to shine. It's Mm -hmm. not good to step out. It's not good to stand out. And so, you know, at some point I picked up this idea that being humble means that I shouldn't believe in myself. I shouldn't believe in my own capacity to shine and I'll hide that and I'll mask that and I'll get myself down and small and take up less space. And now I'm in this place where everything, every aspect of my life is requiring me to be shiny. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's like, I think when you go back to that sense of you don't know who you are, there's also a thing there about being humble. And, you know, Jim, I think you have probably less ego than almost anyone I have ever met. And I don't know what you were like when you were 20. (laughs) I imagine a bit different, but, you know, you have such little ego. And I think sometimes with humility, we also can lack a sense of self, right? Like it's good to recognize yourself exactly as you are. And my mom always said, you're not better than anyone. You're not worse than anyone. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's so easy for me to go, yeah, yeah, I'm not better than anybody. I get that. But, you know, also sometimes I think we can be our own worst enemy when it's like, who am I to do this? Or why should I, you know, who do I think I am to start a podcast or get on stage or write a book? And I think it's really cool that you, you know, seem that you've navigated 
maybe having some of those thoughts, but you still managed to do a lot of work in spite of it. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm sure everybody could tell that we're friends and, and uh, I don't doubt there might be any number of people who would say, I can tell you a couple of stories of Jim's ego. There probably are out there, but I take those words as a real sincere compliment. I thank you for them. I, um, I keep thinking about when you're saying that, you know, that um, I don't know if I have an absence of ego at this point, but I would love to think about that. I'm going to think about it since you said it uh, tomorrow in my journal, I'll be writing about that, see what, <laughs> see what comes out. But I will tell you this, I don't, what I really know that I have less of now is need for validation. So if there is, it, I wonder if it's, if it's truly the absence of ego or if it's that I have built a sense of myself that, as you say, I don't think of it in comparison to any other human in the world. If I ever think comparison, I think of comparison as who I have been and who I still would like to be. I like that kind of comparison. I use that all the time. But but I don't I don't need a lot from anybody else in order for me to feel like I'm okay. I'm worthy of some accolation or I'm, you know, someone says you really helped me. I'm, I can say I did and I'm glad I was able to, you know, I don't need to say, oh, shucks. No, I didn't. I just showed up, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but we, we, we're just so taught to do that. You know, and yeah. I think in the same way that you, we talked to earlier in this podcast about people who have a great life and are still not fulfilled can be shamed into thinking there's something wrong with them when really it's just that they were born to do something more, it, you know, they do have growth. Well, I think the same thing can happen here. I think with, when you talk about ego and self-esteem and comparison to others, um, um, it's very easy to fall into that trap. But if we stay in that arena of, I compare myself to who I was and I compare myself to who I dream of being, you're in a really safe zone where all comparisons are now valuable. All comparisons are meaningful. And the more I do that, the less need I have to compare myself against somebody else, you know, and, and I'll say this very vulnerably. I don't know if anybody would be able to relate to it, but, but, you know, I'm at that age where everybody looks so young to me and everybody <laughs> looks so smart and beautiful and talented and energized, you know, and I still have a degree, an appropriate degree of all those characteristics, you know, I suppose, but but I'm not them. I'm not 35 anymore. I'm not at that same place in my life. So if I start comparing myself to them, um, it's like that old expression about if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will always be a failure. You know, I'm just setting myself up to be unhappy all the time. <laughs> but I have learned how, and imperfectly, but a lot of the time, to just switch over to that other way of, can I, can I measurably and verifiably say that I have I have moved from where I was to where I am today? And yeah. can I can I aspirationally say I am still determined and active in the pursuit of who I still dream of being? If I can say yes to those two things, and I would say this to anybody listening to you and me, even if you're eating a sandwich and driving your car right now, you know, that that that's just enough. That's all you need to know. And then there's a piece you make with yourself and whatever system of faith or belief you have. And you need that as well. It's not, we don't, we don't exist, you know, solely in this one vacuum. Um, but if you can say yes to those things, I think you'd find that your own thoughts around, am I being too proud? Am I shining too bright? Am I, you know, I think those would start to dissipate because you just get comfortable with yourself. 
I do love those quotes, though, and I can't say them out loud, but, you know, the, I can't remember them well enough. But the people who say do nothing and they'll criticize you, do everything and they'll still criticize you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some version of that that people have said more articulately than me, but that's always going to be true anyway. Right. So the that's another version in my mind of outside in. You know, if you if you if you evaluate yourself based on what other people say about you, see in you, recognize of for you. That's outside in. And while it feels really good in the moment, you know, I've had, I've given speeches and gotten a bunch of standing ovations all around the world. And those are wonderful moments. I'd love to just dream about them right now, you know, but if that's what I use to judge myself, then the moment there's no standing ovation, I, I somehow feel that I'm less than I failed in some way. And it's just not outside in is not a good way to live, but inside out inside i know who i am i'm at peace with my creator i'm using my talents to the best ability i have i'm trying to do good work in the world i'm giving of myself wherever it's possible for me to do that i'm living a life that's true to my own values I mean blah just list 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 the more of those things i have then i don't it doesn't matter so much how many likes i get on my post tomorrow morning you know it really doesn't matter to me it matters in the sense of am i reaching people with a message i'm hoping to get out that's true but it, my self-esteem is not hinged on that. Yeah. Totally. It's hinged on the bedrock that I've created of my life. And, and I'm not trying to say I'm, I finished, Kristen. I don't want anybody listening to this saying, oh boy, that guy's so full of himself. He's like, all I'm all done. I'm perfect now. It's not true. I'm, I'm just, I'm just on this road. I might be a, a little bit ahead of you because I've been alive longer than you, but I'm not ahead of anybody else in the sense of being superior. I'm just working hard on being who I was born to be and leaving the legacy that I hope to leave. And, you know, and having a, my final day arrive unexpectedly and be able to say, awesome, let's go to the next chapter. I have no regrets. You know, I've done all that I could do. You know, let's move on. You know, I, I think that's a beautiful way to live life and to go about um, those discoveries. But the other way, the, the outside in way is torture. It's torturous. And I think some of your question goes to a lot of people that are, would like to be free of that particular way of thinking. Yeah. I love that. I mean, what you're talking about when you're presenting around the world with, um, you know, the Stephen Covey organization, I'm like, Oh, Jim, do you do stand up? <laughs> Cause I do it. I can tell you that, you know, when you're sitting at like the open mic in the loud bar and no one's even really listening to the show and you're like, am I just talking to myself right now? Like, am I floating outside of my body watching myself do comedy? <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm so glad I didn't try doing it when I was younger because you know, that validation piece would have been way more involved and it's still challenging. Like I really struggle to write jokes and get myself up there. You know, I try and do it once or twice a week, something with comedy oh, or poetry. Wow. wow. Um, and yeah, I'm actually tonight starting to host a poetry open mic night. So that'll be fun. Nice. But, you know, with poetry, it's, I guess some people find that more vulnerable, mm -hmm. but you know, it's like, to me, a poetry, especially at an open mic night, like it's not like I'm presenting at the White House, you know, <laughs> like you're just getting up and sharing your innermost, like your feelings and people in general are very supportive. But comedy is like a whole other ball game of, you know, did I make you laugh? Did you like this? Do you resonate? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of challenging. But, you know, you were talking about that earlier. It's like we follow the breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know this but not everyone on earth has the desire to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> but I have had that desire for like 
over 10 years. It's like, what is it in me? You know, there's something about it. And I know at its core, I mean, yes. Okay. Do I like being a little bit the center of attention? Do I like making people laugh? Of course. But in a way deeper sense, like for me, it's just like another way to play. Like Mm -hmm. life gets so serious and, you know, there's so much going on in the world. And then it's like, oh, I have the opportunity to get on stage and just kind of play with people and engage in a way that might make them laugh. Yeah, that's a worthy effort of my time. I would like oh, to spend time doing that. And what a beautiful gift to the world. You know, laughter is is it's its, own, its own form of medicine and healing and perspective setting. And if we lose the ability to, to laugh, we've lost something we really can't survive without. I think I think it's it's wonderful work. I'm so glad you're doing it. I have no skill whatsoever. I can't even tell a joke very well. But but I have great appreciation for the people that can do it. But I wondered if this, I, I, I have a sentence that I wrote about 40 years ago, but it still seems true to me today. But I wonder if, it, let's see if it stands the test of time. I, I wrote in my own first book, I wrote in 2005, that that when the pull of your calling, sort of that, whatever you have, that desire to do something becomes stronger than the weight of your resistance, you move yeah. forward. And that for me, that's been a, an image that's helped me when I want to go forward and then don't or can't or feel impeded or I'm scared. Instead of saying, I can look either place. I can say, well, what is the weight of my resistance? Sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I'm, I don't want to fail or I'm a, I think there are going to be consequences or somebody's going to be offended or whatever. I don't know. Whatever the weight of my resistance is, I can unload some of that weight and then my calling will slingshot me into the future. But I can also work the equation from the other end. I can say, okay, whatever my resistance is, I've just got it. Let me amplify the strength of my calling. And I'm, I'm not trying to be religious when I say calling. I'm trying to say, you know, that thing you really love to do, the thing you really want to do, the thing you lose all sense of time when you're doing. And if money were no object, you would do it full time. You know, um, that thing... I can amplify that so I can work the problem from either end. I can reduce my the weight of my resistance or I can amplify the strength of my calling. And either way works. When the calling is greater than the resistance, shoom, I slingshot forward, you know? And so, for example, I thought about writing a book for years before I ever sat down and wrote one. And then now I've written three, you know? And I'm planning to write another one this year to come out next year. Um, but for a long time, I was resistant. But I, I'll tell you a more intimate story for me. Even when I retired from Franklin Covey and started my own business, and I think I've spoken to you about this, um, um, I had been all over the world. I had stood in front of audiences all over the world. I'd given speeches and all that stuff. You would think it was a, it was just nothing to me to transition. But what what caught me totally by surprise is I began to post on social media not as the global managing consultant for Frank and Covey anymore, mm-hmm. but as just Jim. And, and I don't, I mean, I can't, I can't, I don't even have the vocabulary to real, but I think you see it in my face. Uh-huh. I was stunned. <laughs> for, from a person who could speak to audiences regularly of 10,000 people. I was scared to make a post because, and it caught me totally by surprise, Kristen, I didn't see it coming that now it's just me. Yeah. And did so, it did it feel like learn. the the mask that you were kind of hiding behind all of a sudden you were more exposed? Of course. Is that... of course yeah. You know, I was behind Franklin Covey, which is a beautiful 
you know, brand to stand behind. I was behind global managing consultant. I was behind best-selling author. I was behind former CEO. I had, I must've had 19 shields all around me, you know, while I thought just for fun, I was being so brave, you know, no, that doesn't bother me at all. Well, of course it didn't bother me. I was insulated from, you know, I had all these barrier systems all around me that were protective in nature in, in this way of speaking. Well, then the moment that I voluntarily laid those down in a beautiful, great moment at the right time and stood alone and said, I, I'd like to I'd like to share something on social media today. And it's just coming from me. Mm-hmm. What I had was an unanticipated experience of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, here I was at this point in my life, I was 67 years old and I've got to start over on the journey of vulnerability. I've got to take the first small step and the second slightly larger step and the third slightly, slightly larger step. It's like easing into cold water. You know, I just had to, I just had to inch my way. Now, now today it's totally great. I've made it. I'm on the other side of it. You know, it feels wonderful. Now I post almost every day on every platform um, and I get lots of wonderful feedback and it all feels very natural. But in those moments, the greatest surprise I had was the journey of vulnerability started all over again. Well, don't you think that's true of almost everybody, you know, yeah. you, you built your identity as, um, as a mom or a, a dad, or you built your identity as, you know, a person who had an athlete who had the certain set of skills and could win championships, or you built your identity as the smartest person in the room. I don't know. There's thousands of options, but my point is what happens when the day, when you stand without that identity, yep. what about that? You know, and, and I watch people all the time do this of, they cling to former, former world champion or former CEO. I don't want any of that on my LinkedIn profile. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't want to be former anything because I realize that's just holding on to yeah. the thing that used to make me feel safe. There's nothing wrong with honoring your own accomplishments. I'm not trying to say that. We, and we, we all have those and we should all be proud of those milestone moments in our lives. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying something deeper. I get the distinction. Still, I think it's clear. Yeah, if, if those are the things that make you able to do something now, yeah. you should you should try standing, figuratively speaking, unclothed in front of everybody. You should, you should, from a vulnerability standpoint, you know, you should try because it's an amazing experience. You learn a lot about yourself, but the version of you that comes out at the end, I think, is a better version. I yeah. think it's more the real you than than maybe. Not that I was not authentic when I was giving a speech, but I was certainly a person in a position playing a role for a good reason. That's all good. But it wasn't my most authentic self. My most authentic self when I said, hey, everybody, this is Jim, you know, and here's something I'd like to say today uh, that I never forget it. What a what a what an amazing moment for me to rediscover that all over again. So I think maybe that's helpful to a lot of people that what you're going through is you're just shedding your old identity and you're standing in your new self, but you're a little bit more vulnerable now because it's more personal. But if you just keep going, you get to the other side of it and it's really a wonderful experience. Yeah. And I mean, you know, nature does this like, you know, snakes every few years or I don't know their life cycle, but they shed their Mm -hmm. skin, you know, birds, they're always molting. Like Miley Cyrus, we're always reinventing ourselves, you know, (laughs) but it's, it's true. And I mean, I, you know, I always say this, but I think it's especially true as women because, you know, biologically we go through many life cycles and, you know, I think men have your own, but, you know, with women, it's like, you know, your, your fertility, you have all these different eras of your life. And if you 
really stop and think about it, it's about the most natural thing that you can do to go through these life cycles. But it's quite harrowing when you're in the midst of it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's frightening. And, you know, you make me think one of my favorite quotes is uh, from the philosopher Joseph Campbell, uh, who anybody who doesn't know him, I'd encourage you to take a look at his work. He, he just did such amazing work in the world. But he has this wonderful quote that I cling to all the time it, where he says, and I hope it won't get it perfectly. Sometimes we must give up the life we've created in order to have the life we were born for. Yeah, I love that quote. And that's really what you just said. You know, I, I, I had an early life as a musician and I, and I walked away from that life to be a business person. And then I had an early life as a technologist and I walked away from that to be an executive. And then I had an early, you know, life as an author. And I now walked away from that in order to be a coach. But it's not like walk away as abandoned. It's like you lovingly, gently, honorably close the chap one chapter of a book. And as soon as you do that, you turn the page to the next chapter. You know, uh, it, it's a beautiful thing when we don't resist it or begrudge it. Yeah. Um, if I'm if I'm always trying to relive winning the state championship as a high school senior, then I'm going to have a hard time, you know, because that won't take me through the remainder of my life. But if yeah. I can gently and lovingly say that chapter is now closing, let me embrace the next thing that's here for me. That's a beautiful way of creating a long and great life where you're you're always still engaged and interested in the thing you're doing now. You know, yeah. you're not a former anything. I think that's so true. And, you know, what you said, really, it really did hit me at a core level. Um, you know, the whole on your LinkedIn, having the former, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been in an interesting season where I'm kind of trying to step away from an old identity, mm -hmm. being a food scientist, being in the food industry. And yeah you know, as I figure out what it is I want to build, there's been this question of, do I lean into that? And in the beginning, it felt really bad. It was mm -hmm. like, you know, do I want to build myself as a coach for people in the food industry? Did I want to work with people in that? And I'm like, no, because if someone calls me to develop another pumpkin spice la latte, I'm going to freak out. Like, please <laughs> don't call me for that. Even though I can do it in my sleep, even though every yeah. fall I'm like, oh yes, I've worked on that. And I still drink them, by the way, they're delicious. But <laughs> yeah, it's like, I didn't want those phone calls and, you know, trying to make some distinction and step away from that and figure out what it is that I want to build that really served me for a time. And then also there's, I think maybe another point along the path where you go, okay, I did it. I let go of that for enough time. Now maybe it's safe and okay if I pick it back up, right? And at the end of the day, it's like, who's the demographic that you want to help or serve? I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's like, typically it's me five years ago. <laughs> and if you look at yourself and you look about five to 10 years in the past, depending on you know how long you've been doing this, you will often find the people that you feel really well suited to help. And yeah, you know, it's like, that. yeah, me five years ago was someone sitting in a corporate job who had a big bubble of creativity bubbling up inside themselves, no idea how to get it out and no idea how to not just kind of be miserable. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, that's who I want to help or, you know, so women in the food industry is a really natural fit for me, but I had to kind of walk away from it for a while so that I could start to see that break and that distinction in how I see myself and other people may or may not meet you there. I still get calls from people who they're like, yeah, I think of you, you work in regulatory, right? I'm like, I did that 10 or 15 years ago. <laughs> but, you know, I'm like, I, I, you don't want to hire me to do your regulatory now. I, I don't know the regulations. I will mess it up. 
but you know, that. if I want you to think of me as a coach, like mm-hmm. maybe right. that takes time and maybe some people never will change the That's way that right. they see you. But I've, like you said, I think it's way more important in how you see yourself. But that's also just a piece of encouragement. Like when you let things go, sometimes you feel like you're never going to, it's never going to come back again, but often it's like really just in that surrender and letting go for a time on your path, you'll Mm -hmm. be shocked at how much really kind of comes right back to you, but you can't let it go with expecting it back. (laughs) You really have to just kind of walk (laughs) away from it. But yeah, I love that you, I love where you just took us in our minds because, you know, in, in a sense, you just brought us back to where you and I started today, which was joy is a valid compass. Yeah. And and, and I, I use myself as that same kind of example. If I'm asked today to help an organization create a well-aligned structure of goals and operating metrics so that they can produce a greater result, I know that's honorable and good work. And I know that I'm very skilled at it. And I also know that if I woke up tomorrow morning with that task to do, I would not feel joyful. I'd be joyful about helping the humans involved, but the work would not bring me joy. So certainly there are times in everybody's life when you, you rightly and honorably trade your hours and your talent for some dollars to support yourself and the people that you care about and to do good things in the world. There's no, nobody on this podcast is saying anything other than that, but there is a place where when you have choices, if you choose the thing that makes you money and, drains you of your life force yeah you make that choice often enough that terrible bargain of then you will ultimately lose the force that actually made you great so the so i love your i love where we started of saying we well, have yeah, it isn't it joy a valid compass in that if i want a pumpkin spice latte i can call you and leverage my friendship with you and you'd probably help me out but it's not a joyful thing it might be joyful for you to help me but it's this is not this is no longer who you are, you know, you're the former pumpkin spice latte person, and you don't want to be known as that anymore. I think that's <laughs> a very healthy way to look at life and the transitions that we go through. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and by the way, if anyone wants to hire me to develop you a pumpkin spice latte, <laughs> you can still call. I will probably say no, but you can still try me. <laughs> yeah, I'll still help people with their goals, especially if I want to help people. And the way we do it is their goals, you know. But the um, but I think that's right. Hey, I've got one more thought. Can I throw it real way real fast? I know we're, yeah. we're most most of the time. Um, I have a little system in my head that's helped a lot of people, and and I just say it in case one of your listeners would say, "Okay, Christian and Jim, you've had a lovely conversation with each other, and you've covered so many things. I have no idea what to do next with all the things you've said. I, that could happen, right? Especially if you are listening to you and me while you're driving or something." Uh, which I hope you have both hands on the wheel. Um, I would I would leave you with this image that is a synopsis and it's helpful. It's not comprehensive. But if there are five boxes you can check, you're probably on the right path. See if this, Kristen, see if this holds up for you. If you can say, I am the right person doing the right work in the right way with the right people for the right reasons. You could check those five boxes you're in a pretty good place. If you can check four of those boxes, you're in a pretty good place. If you can only check two of those boxes, so I'm the right person doing the right work in the right way with the right people for the right reasons. If I can get, if I can only get two of those boxes, yellow warning light over my head. Time to think about what I'm doing with my life, where I'm going, and what I'm. What am I looking for? I'm looking for some place in the world, some opportunity in the world where those five boxes can get checked. Sometimes that 
little synopsis with five boxes is something that's easily remembered. And I hope maybe that's a small, small thing we can leave everybody with as a quick quiz you can give yourself. I love it. No, that's great. The quick quiz with Jim Hewling, everybody. <laughs> well, Jim, yeah, we are uh, we are kind of coming up on time. So that was a beautiful thing to leave us with. Is there any is there anything else that you want to say in closing or maybe even as you just kind of reflect on your own life? Like I know you're at a different season, right? You have a lot of perspective and legacy. So is there anything that you want to leave us with to consider? Mm-hmm. You know, one thought that might be a recapitulation of almost everything we've said today, uh, and I just say it with great love, that I think each of us came here for some reason. We, each of us has a purpose. I, I just don't believe in a randomized universe. And if anybody does, that's fine. I'm not trying to change anybody's belief. I'm just saying from my standpoint, I lean into my faith in these moments of speaking of this topic and think, each of us, I think, was born to play some part, to do something, to be someone in this world. And we don't even know all the things that were dependent on us playing our part. All we can really know is that if we don't play our part, it won't get played. That piece of the puzzle will be missing. And so if you if you like that idea, some part of you resonates like, I, yeah, I was born for a reason. I have something I'm supposed to do then I think that thought alone lights a little tiny spark, like a pilot light on a heater, you know, that that makes you want to say, well, okay, well, then what is that thing? But I also think, and I don't mean it as a heavy-handed thing, I just mean, if you don't do that, if that, if you don't work toward that in some way, in your own pace, in your own style, I think you will be unfulfilled mm-hmm. all your life. I think your whole life, you will say, gosh, you know, there's something I was supposed to do. I just never, found it, you know, <laughs> or, or I get people all the time that will say, when I was a kid, I loved to paint. I just paint. I would paint for hours. I would, I would mix the colors in my own unique way. And the, the other kids would take my paintings home and they would hang them on their walls. And it was just, and then they'll say to me, I don't know where I lost that, but that's a clue. You loved that. You lost all sense of time when you were doing it. It brought you joy. Even if you put it to the side for a moment, it's still out there. It's still inside you. You, know, you can still discover that thing that brings you alive. And, and Kristen, if there's anything this world needs right now, it's people who have come alive. Who can share with everybody. Know, know to do it. So, so Ooh, good. I'm getting all fired up now. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. We should do another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll leave you guys with this too. I always like to kind of recap at the end, but I mean, yes, you're right, Jim. I think we had a really, you know, kind of deep, emotional, almost heavy conversation around a lot of this. But at the end of the day, you guys, I, I think the mic drop of this whole episode is that joy is a valid compass. Mm-hmm. And here's what I would say changing the world first of all, starts with yourself. So if you want to change the world, if you want to see something different, don't give up, don't buy into the apathy, shut off Instagram, don't get on TikTok. But when you actually say, what does it take to change the world? It looks like one tiny personal revolution of love at a time. Hmm. And when you start to tap into the love and the joy and the vibrancy that you have inside of yourself, even that spark, you know, like you said, when I was a little girl, I wanted to write. I escaped. I read so many books. I would just sit in the windowsill and read and write and journal and write stories about my cat. And they're probably terrible, <laughs> but that isn't the point. Like there was a spark there. Right. And even if you feel like your spark has gone out, that is always revivable because 
it doesn't matter what's happened to you. It's like, that's who you are. And yeah, sometimes we need to get rekindled. And I think, you know, that's what Gemini are doing here today. It's like, you know, (laughs) Hey, I see you, but like once you, and that's, again, you know, I talk about this a lot, the importance of having a coach or a guide. And if, you know, if it's me, that's great. If it's not me, that's cool too. Find someone who is burning, (laughs) find the person in your life who looks like a Roman candle. They have extra flame. And if you feel like you need a little bit of light, get ignited, go find your people. And it can even be experiences. Like I've had this urge to go to Disneyland for about a year now. (laughs) I want to go cosplay at Harry Potter world. I want to go do the star Wars return of the Jedi. Like I want to go nerd out at Disney world with my friends and I'm probably going to go for my birthday. I have to believe that there is something worthy there. There is something in me that is yearning to just go be a kid. You know, I haven't been working for a few months. I'm going on vacation to Miami. Why? Because I just want to go be in a state of play for about four days. That is a worthy compass. And so, yes, follow your heart, follow your joy, follow the things that make you feel like a kid again. And it brings out the vibrancy. And, you know, I know, Jim, we've talked about you being at a different stage in your life. Mm. But I tell you, when I look at you, you don't see any of that because you're so alive. (laughs) You have so much vibrancy and I really believe, you know, my parents are also really awesome examples of this in my life. The people who continue to play, the people who continue to do things that make them feel alive, those are the ones who are alive. (laughs) And it doesn't matter if you're 20, 30, 60, 70, 80, like what you do matters. It makes an impact on your life. And so that's, I guess, my closing (laughs) soapbox for everyone today. But like, just do one thing that makes you feel playful. Mm. Go to the store, buy bubbles Mm. and take a five minute break from your workday and go outside and blow some bubbles in the sun. You'll be amazed at what that can do for your life. Mm. Well, that's my soapbox, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a good one. And I I loved your thought about um, find somebody, maybe find your people, you know, who's your tribe? The, uh, you've heard me say this before. There's a wonderful proverb I learned with all, all the work I did in Africa, which was, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. You find somebody else to shares a dream or shares the dream of both of you having a dream. You don't have to want to do the same things. You're, you're, you're multiplied by more than two. You're multiplied by like 10 because of the energy fusion you can do together, you know, with someone else can help you. And, and I feel like that's how you and I are. We're friends and we, and we encourage each other and we uh, uh, hold each other accountable, but we also uh, believe in each other. We believe in the, the val- validity of all the things that we've said today. It's been, it's just been such a pleasure to share these thoughts with you, Kristen. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure. And, you know, again, for anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you don't have the people in your life right now who believe in you, or, you know, who encourage you on your path, it may ruffle some feathers when you start to choose mm-hmm. yourself and choose your life, of course. get yourself in community. And that's part of the goal of this podcast. I'll be honest because I need that community too, mm-hmm. but find your people, you guys, because it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for coming on today, Jim, again, Jim Hewling, Jim, for anyone who um, who wants to follow you or tune in, I know you're very active on your social media. Where can people find you if they want to? Well, tune thank in? you for asking me that. Thank you. My, you know, it's it's really simple. If you just know this one thing, my name is J I M H U L I N G. So that's Jim Hewling. If you just got that, then I'm on every platform. 
uh, with that one ID as the way to find me. So that doesn't that make it all easy. Uh, there's a jimhealing.com. There's a Jim Healing on LinkedIn, a Jim Healing on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And then every single day of my life, barring illness or some calamity, uh, I, I try to put a piece of myself out on social media in the best way I know how. Um, and I've been doing that now for a couple of years with only a few days missed in the last two years. And so if you're interested in any of that that you've heard today or you'd like to know a little bit more, um, that's a great place to get to know me and interact with me. And then, of course, you know, Kristen, as we said before, um, I love my work as a coach. I think my whole life led me to this moment. And this is my pinnacle moment. And I never saw that coming, that being a coach would be literally the happiest chapter of my professional life. Uh, so I do that now, too. If you're interested in any of that or think that coaching might be a valuable resource, uh, I'd be honored to have an exploratory conversation and see where it goes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jim. And we will uh, talk to everybody next week. <laughs> Thanks for tuning Excellent. in. Excellent. All right. Wow, you guys, was that not just the most powerful and transformative conversation we just had with Jem? I cannot thank you enough for tuning in today. And I have to say, out of all the episodes I've recorded, this one just really touches my heart. So I'm so appreciative of all of you guys who tune in, who listen each week to the Deeply Funny Podcast. And I'm just so excited to continue to bring you more episodes in our second season. Um, hey, one thing that you can do if you love the show is like us, subscribe, leave us a review. And if there's someone in your network who you think would benefit, share an episode. It's really important for a growing show that we just continue to build our community. So wherever you find us on Apple, on Spotify, if you can just take a minute and leave a review, it really helps us build the show. And I don't know about you, but I feel like this episode needs to reach more people. (laughs) So thank you so much, you guys, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, remember, we're deeply funny because your heart is both.